Welcome to another edition of the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Richard Haynes of Manhattan Pacific Realty here in the South Bay area of Los Angeles, where we cover real estate from Manhattan Beach to Palos Verdes. Today, we have a very special guest, an episode to help you kick off your New Year's fitness and health goals. I've got Ryan Doyle, a fitness and wellness expert. On today's episode, we cover how to tee up your garage gym at home. We go into the details of exercise and diet for you to get started in 2023 to hit your goals. And then we go into some advanced techniques, sleep, breathing, cold exposure, and some commitments to get after in 2023. We hope you enjoy. Ryan Doyle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. We're stoked to have you. We're kicking off January with you as our local health and fitness expert. Before we get started, I want to do kind of just a loose bio about what I know about you. Feel free to add anything into it, and I might add a few gems into it as well. But Ryan Doyle is a certified health coach with over 15 years in the health and wellness industry. Ryan has experience with group fitness training, personal training, nutrition counseling, and general lifestyle coaching. He has coached thousands of individuals to help them reach their exercise goals and achieve the best version of themselves. Ryan was born and raised in Palos Verdes, spent tons of time by the beach in the South Bay, and currently living in Lanada Bay with his family. I also want to add former owner of CrossFit Redondo, an avid cyclist, collegiate baseball player. The list goes on and on. I've known Ryan since probably junior high school. He's my go-to guy for nutrition and fitness. How does that sound, Ryan? That's a great introduction. I appreciate it. That's kind <laughs> words from you. you. I love it, dude. Well, thank you. We need you. It, we're recording this a little earlier than January, but we're posting in January because we want those health and fitness goals to kick off 2023. I want to start with my question, and then we can get into what you want to talk about and questions we have. Garage gyms. Yes. I'm a realtor. We sell houses. Homes don't always have enough room for gyms, but the garage is a great place. I know you have a garage gym yourself. If someone has a house, they're ready to get going 2023 fitness and they've got a garage, what are your best tips for starting a garage gym? Yeah, so when we looked at my now current house with you, I kind of ran through the house and I went right to the garage because I wanted to see what does that space look like? So like you said, I have a garage gym. Mine's pretty tricked out. Like I've got <laughs> I've seen too much stuff. Yeah, and I've got kids' bikes in there and all kinds of stuff. But for your listeners, what I would start with is first of all matting. Because you want to protect your garage floor, number one. And number two, you want to protect your equipment that you buy. And what I did is I went to Lamita Feed. And they have, I believe it's four by six uh, horse stall mats that are thick. And I bought like maybe eight of those and just covered the floor. So now you've got a nice space. So for folks out there, if they want to check out Lamita Feed, super easy local place to do it. Otherwise, they'd have to go online and have it shipped and all that, which is a whole other 
beast. So good flooring is kind of your foundation, so to speak. And then from there, I would go right to kettlebells and dumbbells. So a variety of, of weights that are, you know, kind of conducive to your goals and your fitness level. And, you know, for me, it's easy to say like, Hey, go out and buy dumbbells and kettlebells. And then, but it's in like, well, what do you do with them? Mm-hmm. And my advice there is kind of twofold. One, you can kind of go on YouTube university and just watch kettlebell and dumbbell videos. There's a lot out there. I've, I've watched a lot myself and sort of do the independent study and look at, you know, what movements look good for you? What movements do you think you can do on your own without any coaching? The second option would be to seek out some sort of personal trainer, fitness trainer, some type of gym where you can go in and actually get coaching. And I think any trainer, if you said, Hey, look, like I just want to do five sessions and I have a garage gym and I'm building it and I've got a kettlebell. What do I do? And they can show you a variety of different movements and also give you that feedback of, Hey, your movement's looking good, or you need some improvement here. Here are your weaknesses and give you some direction. So as far as those implements go, I think those are kind of your foundation because they're so versatile. You can do a lot with them. The second kind of way I would go is I would then get some sort of cardio piece. So if you want to go really bare bones and cheap, you get a jump rope. And to me, jump roping is one of the most underrated things. You can travel with it. You can do it just about anywhere. And if you take a runner that can run like a six minute mile and say, Hey, jump rope for 10 minutes. I would bet that a lot can't do it right off the bat. So it just kind of shows the stimulus there, which is it's, it's a profound stimulus that is, again, I think a little underrated. So a jump rope is a nice thing to have. And then after that, you're looking to spend a little bit. So I would recommend either a rowing machine or some type of air bike. Skiers are, are getting more popular. If you enjoy skiing, skier might be a good option or like a treadmill, but if you've got kind of the space and the budget, then I would recommend that that cardio equipment. So right now you've got flooring, you've got some some weights, and then you've got a cardio machine. And then from there, you know, we can go a lot of different directions. But I think that's a really good that's start. That's the starter kit. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like it could be a reasonable start because if Lomita Feed has some good prices of just laying it down, can you go find some used kettlebells? online and there's probably gyms that are looking to get rid of old, you know, dumbbells. Seems reasonable to me. I love the jump rope idea. I forget about jump roping all the time. And whenever I see one and do it, I'm crushed. Yes. Crushed. Yeah. So I love that. And then you throw in the rower. I'm I'm surprised you didn't say like a Peloton or something like that. And maybe it doesn't have to be a Peloton, but you like the rower much better because it's full body. Yes, I do like the rower. The one caveat with the rower is it's not just a plug and play. Like you can't just buy a rower and sit on it and start rowing. In my opinion, you Mm -hmm. do need some sort of instruction. And again, that's whether you want to go sort of the YouTube route or find someone that's qualified and have them teach you how to row. But um, I have seen issues on the rower with folks that don't know how to use it and you know, back, hips, knees, some issues there. So I would definitely recommend if you do get a rower, I love the rowing machine, but one that you need to know how to use. Now, the Peloton bike you mentioned, that my quick story is my wife really wanted to get a Peloton and I was against it. This is in 2019. And 
through, you know, some discussions, we decided, all right, we will get a Peloton bike. And it turns out that I'm now the main user of the Peloton bike. <laughs> You're so a I'm a converted, maybe initial Peloton hater that then turned into uh, uh, an advocate. So I love the Peloton because unlike the rower, you jump on that thing and you go. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of technique. Once you get it set up correctly, and we can kind of get into why, you know, the Peloton's a good piece of equipment for your goals, but I like it because it gives you that lower level, lower intensity cardio that's extremely important in a fitness program. I like it. So it sounds like it's applicable if you're just getting your garage gym started or you haven't worked out for a few months and you're trying to get back on the train in 2023. Yeah, 100%. And I'm sure some of your listeners already have a Peloton bike. If you do, I definitely recommend, and this is a very general statement, but I recommend doing some longer workouts on the Peloton bike. Mm -hmm. At low intensity, so it kind of a quote unquote easy day. It's easy to get on the Peloton and just want to kind of smash. But um, those 60 minute workouts where you're in the sort of zone two, which is your heart rate between 120 and 150. I know that's a big range, but if you take your age and subtract it from 180, that's a good cap. So if you have a 40 year old, 180 minus 40, 140, that would be your heart rate cap. So you'd be in that 130 to 140 range for about 60 minutes. And so that's, you want to stay in that range zone two for an hour, or is that Correct. for all workouts, 20 minutes, two hour workout? It's typically an hour you recommend? An hour is a very good number, but it's a little bit longer, the better. So once you've kind of gone an hour and you've gotten used to that, it's okay to go longer. To your question about uh, 20 or 30 minute workouts, If you're just getting started in a fitness program, you've been sedentary, then a 20 or 30 minute zone two workout is a great place to start. But if you're a little more advanced, then those 20 or 30 minute workouts should probably be a little more intense. So the heart, you know, interval training, heart rate kind of going up and down, work rest, that sort of thing. Love it. So I started this podcast blazing hot. We just went right into Garage Gym. We gave you a little bit of a bio. I wanted to give listeners something right off the bat, some inspiration for for health and fitness. Now I want to kind of take a step back, talk about you a little bit. Tell us your path, your background here in the South Bay or beyond of how you got into the fitness and, and wellness industry. What are some of the things you've done for yourself, whether you've tried certain things or are doing things now, it can be one minute long. It can be five minutes long just to give, you know, people an idea of who you are and, and, you know, your background. And then we can kind of go into maybe some diet or, Hey, if you don't have that garage, are you doing trails in Palos Verdes? Are you running on the soft sand in Manhattan beach? And then we can slowly go from there. So just to talk about you for a little bit, give people an idea of who you are. Yeah. So I guess I'll start with, I grew up very active, loved to be outdoors. Wasn't really like a video game or sort of TV kid. I I was kind of uh, restless, liked to be outdoors and baseball was my thing. It's kind of like life revolved around it. And when I was a junior in college, I kind of had this realization that I wasn't going to play baseball forever. I think up until that point, I thought I'm just going to keep playing until I can't. And That's when I thought, kind of had this almost epiphany type moment where I'm like, all right, I'm not going to play baseball forever, but I love the process of trying to get better at something, especially physically. And so that's when um, I was a kinesiology major already. And that's when I thought, you know what? I really want to be in the space where I can help athletes or people in general sort of perform. And 
that led me down the nutrition path. And so I focused on that for a while, did some different programs, went out to New York and got to study under a lot of great uh, nutrition minds. This would have been back in 2008. I remember that. Yeah. And that was pretty eye-opening. I got to learn a lot of different philosophies. So that kind of kept me with, a, with an open mind in the nutrition space, which I think is important because things change fast. Because you've changed them. I mean, you don't have to get into it, but you've tried a lot of these different philosophies yourself personally. Yes. And some have worked out well. And some I've kind of, at the time, I was pretty sure that this was the way and I've kind of changed my tune. So, um, And it'll probably happen again and in yes. another five years or no, something 100%, like that. 100%. So, and then from that point, I ended up going to Australia and I continued to study there. And when I got back, you actually said, I've got this garage gym that I've been working out in and you really need to check this out. This is right up your alley. And I think when you first said that, I thought, eh, you know, I, I do my thing. You know, I go to the gym. I do the stuff I used to do for baseball. Like I'm happy. Maybe a month went by and you hit me up again. You're like, hey, you're coming with me. <laughs> We're going to go see John Wilson in uh, Redondo Beach. And I did. And it was a CrossFit workout. And I loved it. My first workout, I was like hooked. And it's kind of the typical sort of CrossFit baptism story. Hooked so much that I, you know, kind of fast forward, decided this is what I want to do. I want to train people in CrossFit. Did it out of the backyard for a bit. You were a part of that, yes, of course. Yes, loved um, it every minute. In Redondo Beach, South Redondo, epic workouts. Super fun. It kind of started out as like kind of a, a bro club where it was like all of our buddies just sort of messing around in, a, in what we called the pit. But what I learned there was that if people like the program, they really stick with it. And, you know, we were talking earlier about it, but this kind of goes along with the thought of you, you really have to find something you like in the fitness realm. Otherwise, adherence just it won't be there. And so what drew me into CrossFit was a lot of people that tried it really liked it. And that can go a long way. And so fast forward to 2011, opened up CrossFit Redondo. And for 10 years, I owned and operated it. Uh, coached most of the classes, was in the gym many hours and loved it. Loved it. And then most recently, just family and and COVID and all that just sort of made me start a new chapter. So it was a great 10 years and, you know, I wouldn't trade it, but it was small business ownership was uh, so tough, as you know, during COVID. And also, by the way, you do it for 10 years and you go, just like you said, next chapter, people love CrossFit. I love CrossFit slash love CrossFit. Haven't been able to do it with life changes, kids, marriage, work, those type of things. And it sounds like you go, hey, that served me for a certain point in my life. And now, you know, I know you're an avid cyclist around here on the switchbacks and PV running into shirtless Keith for the, the listeners that know that. And, you know, you do work out of your garage gym and you're taking different, you know, nutrition approaches and Maybe you're powerlifting or maybe you're not powerlifting or maybe it's hit where it's just things evolve and change on what you like to do. And it sounds like that's maybe where you're at now and how it's not a one size fits all. It's a what size fits you approach and keeps you happy. For sure. For sure. And I feel like if there's one message I would want to get out, it's that 
even though being in the gym is is a good environment and it's hard to replicate that sort of class structure mm-hmm. and the atmosphere and the camaraderie, I think it's important for folks out there to sort of find things they can do on their own. Because as we know, family, obligations, work, social life, it's just very hard to donate a lot of time to it. So if you have that Peloton or that garage gym or the ability to just, you know, walk over to a grassy space outside and do something, just move, it can be Mm -hmm. anything. It's invaluable because, you know, you're saving the time by doing it, you know, local, and then you're getting that movement in which, you know, in my kind of, in my view, the movement stuff is important because, you know, we all know there's so many benefits associated with physical activity, but And, you know, this also in the frame of the pandemic, like that mental release of moving and the endorphins is also huge. Huge Uh, deal. Yeah. Then my follow up question, and it's it's a little bit more kind of beginner New Year's Eve tips and then we have New Year's Eve, New Year's Mm -hmm. goals type tips. And then we can kind of move on to maybe some medium and then end the show with some some advanced. But if you don't have the garage gym or there's some people who just go, I don't like lifting weights with kettlebells and dumbbells. And I've heard a lot about the benefits of lifting weights mm-hmm. for men, women, those type of things of, of that anaerobic. Is that the right? Am I going with it? You're, you're on it right now. <laughs> aerobic versus anaerobic yes, yes. of those benefits. And, and maybe you can clarify anaerobic versus aerobic. Yeah, sure. But the easiest thing for me, and I've been the out of shape dad with young kids for a long time, is me throwing on headphones and just going on a run. And that's probably what a lot of people have in Manhattan Beach, Redondo, Hermosa, where they can go run on the strand or jump in that soft sand. I don't know if the soft sand or the hard sand's worth worth talking about. Or you can just go run a trail in Palos Verdes or on, you know, the not so busy streets. Do you recommend the aerobic workouts? Or do you go, yes, do those. Of course, it's good for you. But I still want you hitting those kettlebells and dumbbells if you can. So the way I'd answer that is it's a fairly recent study came out that said the number one predictor of longevity in men above, I believe it was the age of 60, was lean mass. So that factor, now, of course, there's other factors, but that factor alone stood out. So in order to to age gracefully and get into your 90s, muscle mass is important. And that can't just be manufactured from daily living mm-hmm. unless you have a, a labor job. So resistance training is as important as, as anything really in the, in the fitness world, in my view. So can you just do cardio? Sure. But you're going to be missing out on a pretty big piece. So if, if I'm kind of speaking broadly, what I would say is if you can train five days a week. And when I say train, I don't mean hours and hours of sessions per session. If you can do a 30 minute resistance training workout two to three times a week and do a longer cardio piece two to three times a week, getting to that, that five day a week goal, then that's a very well-rounded and probably doable program for most. Right. And that doesn't even necessarily involve going to a gym. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're, if we're talking about home gym, Now, back to your question about getting started, I would say if folks, especially around here, can just walk, but find some some stairs, some hills to add a little bit of intensity. And once the walking is feeling great, I'd actually sort of maybe surprise you a little bit and say, I don't necessarily think running is 
a must. I believe adding some weight to your walks is the next Interesting. step. And I've, I've sort of in the last couple of years become more, I guess, more bullish on that because I believe that the low impact, but just adding some weight to the body is extremely beneficial to the joints. So ankle weights, carrying dumbbells or getting some sort of vest that holds some weights. What do you recommend on that? Cause that's fascinating. I'm yeah. going like, Hey, why don't I just do a brisk walk? upstairs but if i'm wearing a weight vest with 10 pounds i know that's going to kick my butt (laughs) yeah and that goes kind of back to the zone two discussion so i'll use myself as an example once a week maybe once every two weeks i'll throw the backpack on with weight Mm -hmm. and i'll walk and I, i check my heart rate but that's my zone two so i'll walk i'm outside you know we have 300 whatever sunny days it's nice i'm getting you know sun on the skin i like it because i'll you know walk and see other runners or walkers and kind of, you know, it's a bit of a, a, a kind of a nice social aspect too, mm-hmm, in a way. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of hitting, you're kind of hitting a lot of these different buckets, but I'll throw on, you know, anywhere from 40 to 70 pounds. That's probably a little more of an advanced number, but my heart rate will be in that zone two area the whole way. And then I'll get the spikes if I decide to go up in a hill. When I do those workouts and I get done, I feel the exertion sort of in the whole body, mm-hmm. like the upper body is going to take some of that weight too, of course. But the next day I wake up and my joints feel great. I can train the next day. I can do whatever I want. For me, if I run for 45 minutes to an hour, I enjoy running. I really do. But lately, as I've gotten older, it's a little more punishing for me. Interesting. That's fascinating because yeah. you work out you're a fitness and health expert and you work out a lot. And to hear that you just go, Hey, I throw on some weight and go for a walk Mm -hmm. and it's an amazing health benefit and how in shape you are. And that can just translate down even to someone who hasn't worked out for six months and they can put five pounds, 10 pounds of weight on and get an amazing benefit that you still do. I think that's amazing advice. Yeah. And that's the resistance and weight that you talk about going. It pushes you more than just jogging. A hundred percent. Or swimming. Well, swim, let's not yeah. go down swimming because no, swimming yeah, can be yeah. a completely different beast, but that's fascinating. Yeah. And, and as far as application, it doesn't have to be a lot of weight. So if someone walks regularly, they throw on a, you know, you can, any backpack you have, anything that you can carry some weight and you can get creative with it. Like I have these little sandbags. You can put weight plates in there. There's a lot of different ways to, mm-hmm. to, to add it. You could even do some household items that are soft. But even if you add 10 pounds, that's going to be a benefit, especially if you're walking longer distances. And again, if you want to scale up, you just find somewhere that has, you know, a hilly area and, and, and walk that. But I'm a big fan of it's rucking is the official name Term for, 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 for that. And it's kind of a hot exercise form right now. Mm-hmm. But to me, it makes a lot of sense. And my personal application has been really positive. So I'm, I'm a big, I love it. I'm going to try it for sure. Let me ask you for our beach residents who maybe don't have, they've got great Hills there that they can still use. But what about those who are running on the strand or even saying, I'm going to run on soft sand or even the hard sand? What are your thoughts on soft sand running? Is it overrated or, or do you go, Hey, there's a great benefit because it's an exercise, but I would rather see you do this or, or do you mix it in once a month? What, what's kind of your recommendation on that? Yeah. And, and I guess I'll preface it by, I, I think I'm talking to two groups. I may be talking to a group of runners, like mm-hmm. people who run and that's their thing. And then people that maybe, you know, dabble in it or run once in a while for runners, if they're racing, they're doing five K's and 10 K's and such. 
then they're going to have to get used to running on the road. But if you don't really need to do that, my opinion is you find places to run that are not the road. And if, if we want to kind of go back in time a little bit, roads are a more modern creation and they're convenient to run on. But if you can find a trail, sand, grass, dirt, gravel, anything that's not super dense, then the joints are just going to be you know, much more rewarded by not having that pounding. And especially as you know, as I've gotten older and continue to run, I noticed that the the pounding is adding up more than it did in my 20s. Sure. And so I think soft sand is a great idea, especially barefoot. I think there's a lot of benefits to, um, you know, training barefoot, not every session, but but mixing it in so that your, your feet can kind of grab the ground. And then especially here in PV, there's a huge network of trails that are pretty safe as far as like, you know, the footing and such. So um, just even getting on those trails versus concrete, I think is, it's a, big is a huge, huge benefit. Yeah. And it's going to take, take some mileage off the, off the lower body joints. Perfect. Yeah. Let's shift gears from the exercise part and let's talk about diet or food. I am so not an expert in here. I don't even know where to ask questions, but I'll kind of let you take the reins of going, you can share what you do. You can share what you give to clients who are starting. We had a conversation before the podcast of going, as Sergio said this, what's sustainable for you of just making that small switch. Some people go, I'm dry January, which we can get into of no alcohol. And then they go back to their normal, you know, uh, eating and drinking habits in February. What are things that you recommend for clients or if you want to share yourself or that are sustainable for people that you see great results if they can get started and stick with it for some time? Nutrition to me is, and and I've been studying it for maybe 20 years now. It's a tough one because it's so individualized and you have so many different people coming from very unique backgrounds of what they've done and what their goals are. So I'll kind of give you in in this framework. What I do is if someone comes to me and says, hey, look, like I really want to lose weight or increase my performance as a CrossFitter or cyclist or in general, I really kind of have to do an intake and, and an assessment. So if for your listeners, it's kind of like what habits do they need to change in order to reach their goals? And to Sergio's point about uh, sustainability, it's right on the money because a lot of diets work. And when I say that diets work, because if you adhere to a diet, you do lose weight. The issue is coming off the diet. I believe it's like 90, 92%, something like that. Coming off that diet, a weight regain of equal or more value is the most common outcome. Wow. So that's when, when you hear yo-yo dieting, it's because folks lose weight and then typically they'll gain it back if not more. And that is wow. the body's- comp- 92% something it's, in yeah. that, a, a, a it's, large it's, it's amount a very of large, come back. Yeah. And that's sort of a cultural issue in that people meaning well say, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm mm-hmm. going to reduce my calories. I'm going to abstain from eating certain foods. And then when at some point that diet ends, that rebound effect is basically the body's way of saying, look, you deprived me. And in order to survive the next time you deprive me, I'm actually going to double my efforts and adding more weight. So it's kind of this, uh, you know, in some ways it's for the good of our survival, but in the modern world, it's sort of this evil perpetual cycle that continues to go. 
so kind of coming back to square one here, that the habits are sort of the the magic. And I'll give you an example. Like, let's say that we we find out someone is not getting enough protein in their diet, you know, through an assessment. So the habits are, you know, having protein snacks in their backpack, in their car, you know, in their desk at work, so that when they get hungry, they're having more protein for their snacks or, you know, kind of making a general rule like, Every time you decide to eat, you have to include protein. So like no all carb meals, Mm -hmm. you know, for this particular person. So once they change that habit and they're getting enough protein, now you have this sort of sustainable approach where it's just a habit that they have protein at every meal or for every snack. And that's something that they can do, you know, forever. For the long term. Sure. Yeah. And as far as kind of going back to the, the diet stuff, I really think that sort of an 80-20 or 90-10 rule is a good place to start. So 80% of the time or 90, depending sort of on on your goals, you're eating what someone would would call a, I I don't like the word, but a clean diet. Mm -hmm. So you're eating, you know, kind of whole unprocessed foods 80% of the time. 20% of the time you have wiggle room to enjoy those foods that, you know, are quote unquote, you know, naughty foods. Naughty foods. Naughty foods. (laughs) And so you're not depriving yourself of these foods that you sometimes crave because these foods are out there. Like, let's face it, they're out there and people like to eat them. And I like to eat, you know, cookies and such as well. You're a naughty boy too. I can be very naughty, as you know. Um, (laughs) So I like sort of this, this 80, 20 approach speaking generally to your listeners, because this way, if you love to go to Trader Joe's and get the mint chocolate chip ice cream, this can happen as long as that 80% foundation is there. Yeah, you're picking up the salmon at Trader Joe's and the chicken breasts and the veggies and all that type of stuff. Exactly. And and that foundation is there. Most of the calories you're getting are nutrient dense. The issue I have with diets is they typically say, you need to reduce carbs or you can't have sugar or you can't have alcohol or whatever. And typically, as we spoke about before, the rebound effect of that is a binge or a you know week-long binge where it's like, I've been deprived. Now I feel like I need to really go after those foods. So going back to that 80-20 rule, this is a sustainable approach that most people can do and, and get results. And then the other thing I'll say is, Diets typically allow for fast weight loss. If people are out there and they're like, I need to lose, let's say 40 pounds, one to two pounds a week is a very, very good pace for a lot of reasons. So if folks are weighing themselves, and I actually do recommend if you're trying to lose weight, you weigh yourself. And if you're losing one to two pounds a week, you're on a great trajectory. As you lose more weight, half a pound to a pound is also a great trajectory. And again, sustainable. Just slow and steady. Slow and steady. People don't realize if you do that, it adds up. Yeah. And that's really good advice. And going back to weighing yourself, that topic has sort of been controversial. Like, do you weigh yourself? Do you not? You weigh yourself, but you look at weekly trends, not Mm -hmm. daily, because you can have fluctuations of water weight and, you know, retaining versus losing water on a daily basis. But if you start looking at weekly trends, that's when you start to see, hey, am I on track here? And so weighing yourself every day, same time of day, same clothes, whatever, is a good approach to just seeing if there's progress being made. 
but looking at it at a weekly basis. I love that because too many people, oh, I lost four pounds this week and they're all fired. Then the next week, three pounds and then it goes to one or they added something and it's just, you know, not slow and steady wins the race over time. But you got to commit. You got to be sustainable. You got it. Yes. Many weeks. Absolutely. Which is the key. Let me, let me, and is there anything, I mean, we could keep going down this road. Is there something that maybe we're missing? Because I have some stuff that I want to talk to you about that I know some of our maybe medium advanced yeah, people are. Or there's can... some things that you go like, hey, you need to know this or that you want to chime in on. I think we covered sort of just getting into. And, you know, I, I also think that the new year is a good time to start to think about, all right, like, what's this year going to look like as far as my goals? But as we've sort of pounded in the ground now, I don't necessarily think January 1st is a good time to be like, I'm going to go on a diet. Right. It's more like, hey, I'm going to try to change this one thing. Right. And then totally. go and then kind of go from there and build off that. Totally. I'm with you. I'm the one where it's like, I've done diets before. I've worked. I used to be in really good shape way back in another lifetime. I'm going, I just want to commit to some exercise goals and then go from there. And as that becomes sustainable and a habit, then I start mixing in some of the diet stuff. But I'm with you 100% of commit to one thing. And I'm normally like a January 3rd guy or a January 4th. Like, you know, New Year's Day is the first. There's going to be bowl games on January 2nd. And then we're back into the office on the 3rd. So let me start, you know, on the Wednesday of that week. I try to not be so rigid on like it has to be January 1st. For sure. But there's some some maybe more advanced topics or maybe they are essential. I actually have more questions as, as we keep talking about this and we still have plenty of time. But... There's two topics that are big for a lot of people and people that wrote in questions are sleep and alcohol. And those are two big bears. We can talk about one and then go to the next, or you can say we can do a combination of both because I know sometimes they're intertwined. Off air on the podcast, we've talked about other podcasts that you listen to. There's one that's very formative for a lot of people. What are your thoughts on sleep and alcohol for health, wellness? Yeah. And so sleep is something in the last probably six to eight years that I've really looked at closely in my own life. And you measure it, don't you? Yeah. So I have, I have a whoop device. It's similar to like a, I guess it would be like an Apple watch or a Fitbit or an aura ring. And what I would say is there was a point in my life where I was so nuanced with, you know, counting my macros and taking all the right supplements. And really I got into the weeds there, but meanwhile, my sleep wasn't optimized. And I was sort of stepping over, you know, hundred dollar bills to go grab nickels type thing. Like to me now, a lot of the things I do during my day, the habits I have are to prepare for the night's sleep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love this. Okay, good. So, Tell us more about so, that. So yeah, so number one is creating enough fatigue during the day so that you have a good night's sleep. And where you can, and going back to the fitness side, this is like the 10,000 step rule. So the way I see that is 10,000 steps is, is great. It's a good goal, but 10,000 steps almost assures you that you'll have a better night's sleep. So that's kind of the first thing is like, I want to optimize what's about to happen overnight so that I can do it all over again. And that's what I would, I would want to sort of preach to your listeners. So as far as like sleep hygiene, the things that I've noticed that have worked for me is one, a consistent bedtime. So inconsistent bedtimes can lead to um, fractured sleep. Number two, really dark room. 
If I travel with my sleep mask, I wear it every night. It's a big part of my sleep routine is when I'm ready to go to sleep, you know, the phone's away, sleep mask goes on my my forehead. And then when I'm ready to go, it's out because our room is not is not very we, we've got kids in our room, babies like it's crazy. Yeah. So there's lights on. And so <laughs> sleep mask is a must. So really dark room. Now, this is something that my wife and I have to really sort of compromise on. 63 degrees to 68 is optimal sleeping temperatures. Interesting. This has been kind of studied. That's the sweet spot. So when I look over, I've got a fan that that blows on me and it says 74 degrees. I'm a little rattled because I know that my You're sleep not optimal is not, op- not optimized at that point. And is this so. like out, like under a blanket though, right? For sure. Okay. Yeah. You don't have right. to be exposed. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, the, the study that they've done is the colder room usually Better gets sleep. you into a, a deeper sleep faster. Okay. And I'll get to alcohol in a second in more detail. But when I got the whoop, the biggest surprise for me was a casual drink or two just depleted my REM sleep. And that REM sleep is going to happen on the back half of the night. And we don't really have to get into it, but the benefits of REM sleep are uh, immense. And things like alcohol, Ambien, even though Ambien makes you go to sleep, those sleep drugs that are designed to sort of knock you out also rob you of REM REM. sleep. And that REM sleep is that restorative, helping you, you know, uh, form memories and sort of download all the things that you've experienced throughout the day. So obviously really important. So probably the last, I would say sleep hygiene wise, the consistent bedtime is is a really big one. And then just, you know, I would say if you're going to nap, that's not a bad idea if you are lacking in sleep from the night before. Hmm. So kind of consolidating that thought. Napping is, is okay. 20 minutes is probably ideal. If you're getting into that 90 minute range, then you're, you're doing a full sleep cycle. So napping can be a good option for some if they're able to, but you know, that eight hours is going to restore you for, you know, a full day, the next day. day. Yeah. Without a problem. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you've, and, and it sounds like you're big on the whoop and there's other people who really like the aura ring and tracking your sleep is a big deal because it sounds like you wake up energized. You really want to go hit that workout. You have more energy to probably eat healthy. And then the psych, it's almost, you, you talked about the, the cycle that kind of spirals out of control when you're on a diet and you have the yo-yo weight up and down. It sounds like if you can get into a sustainable groove on getting a workout in daily or 80% of the time eating pretty well, and then getting in that sleep cycle, it almost feeds on itself in a positive manner. Is that true? Yeah, you, you said it. And the other thing I wanted to mention is this is what I've seen with my data and then also what I've sort of read from from different sleep experts is. So let's say you're in bed for eight hours. Like so, you know, from exactly 10 to 6 a.m., mm-hmm. you're in bed. Typically with wake ups that you don't remember, maybe some latency that takes you to go to sleep, you end up losing out of that eight hours about 45 to 50 minutes of sleep. So even though you're in bed for eight hours and you might wake up and feel rested, you just know that you've probably lost about 50 minutes of sleep. So it's really like seven hours and 10 minutes of sleep. So like a nine hour window of in bed. Mm-hmm. And not, when I say in bed, like you're actively trying to go to sleep or yeah. not just in bed watching TV or whatever. Nine hours, you're probably then getting closer to eight. 
interesting of, of sleep. So okay. just, I think listeners should note that even though you're in bed for eight, it doesn't necessarily mean you, you got, got that rest. Yeah. Cause like when I see my dad in the morning, I'll have like 10 disturbances mm. and each of those disturbances are sort of taking you out of that sleep cycle. So I would say just giving yourself the opportunity to get eight hours is a big one. Totally. Okay, good. I love the sleep insight. Alcohol. You mentioned a casual drink or two messes you up. And it sounds like if it messes up your sleep, then it's messing up how you feel in the morning. It's probably messing up your fitness. Tell us about alcohol. I know there's going to be tons of listeners who would never eliminate alcohol. And you're not saying that you eliminate alcohol completely. I will say I've followed and heard from some clients who have stopped drinking mm. and just heard some of the benefits from you and from other places. And I've limited alcohol intake and I feel better for it. What do you know about alcohol? How have you limited that? What are some strategies you can give to, to listeners where it's like, hey, if you cut back on a drink a week or a whatever, what are those benefits or, or however you want to talk about alcohol in this part so of the show? When I first was sort of cautioned to the effects of alcohol, it was when I probably during kind of our early CrossFit days, I wrote a blog post about how alcohol affects muscle protein synthesis. So basically, after you do a hard workout, you've got to repair and the synthesis is what have you build new muscle. So alcohol tends to blunt that. So, you know, you and I would do maybe a hard workout on a Friday afternoon and kind of crush ourselves. And then we'd go out to Hermosa and watch Party in the Fish Tank and drink <laughs> and you know, have a good time. And it kind of got me thinking like, so what are the effects of, of having a day like that mm -hmm. where you train really hard and then, and then drink that night? And when I sort of dove into the literature, it was like, yeah, you're going to get some blunting of the muscle building. And not only that, but you're going to then be more fatigued for the next day if you'd like to train again. And we all know what a hangover feels mm -hmm. like. So that was sort of first on my radar, like, okay, th these are the effects of alcohol in regards to fitness. The second one was with my sleep, as I mentioned. And for me, I realize I'm a highly sensitive person to alcohol, especially overnight as mm -hmm. it affects my sleep. So that was sort of a realization. So as far as for your listeners, I would just take note that if you have pretty aggressive fitness and health goals, alcohol will always directly compete with that. And it will blunt progress both with recovery and just with the progress of the time you're putting in the gym. I know that sounds obvious, but we were talking before about Andrew Huberman just had a, a pretty, I would say, major breakthrough podcast where he spoke about alcohol and moderate use. And it used to be thought that moderate alcohol intake, so like one to two drinks per day, was, as far as health goes, not that detrimental. A new study came out. Uh, it was a well-done study. I can't give you the all the minutia about it. But basically, it said that there were detriments to the individual's brains that did that moderate alcohol use. And so that was sort of a pretty damning report because... Scientists always thought that moderate alcohol use was not highly detrimental. And now it's showing that, you know, those casual drinks do sort of add up. So if we're speaking in sort of like, all right, well, what do I do with that information? I believe that alcohol is a part of our society. It's a part of our culture, especially with socialization. But having the casual drinks, at least for me, 
are not worth the health detriments and then my ability to then want to work out or wake up early with my kids the the next day. It's not conducive to the lifestyle that sort of I want to lead. So I'm with you 100%, by the way. And this, you've listened to that podcast, and I just want to give it to everyone who, because I had uh, one of our friends actually, it's the Huberman Lab, and it says what alcohol does to your body, brain, and health. And I don't have whatever episode it is, because someone sent it to me on Spotify, and I don't, that's my, my thing. But people can find it. And I will tell you, I've experimented with a little bit where you go to a networking event on a Wednesday night and you go, Hey, I'm there at 6 PM to 8 PM. And you have a beer or two drinks. There it is. Sergio is coming to the rescue episode 86 on the Huberman lab. Thank you, Sergio, for people who want to dive into a two hour podcast. And I'm like, when I got rid of just that drink or two at that networking event, you go, man, I, I stayed out till 8 p.m. at a networking event. That's why I'm tired this morning. One beer you think doesn't do anything, two glasses of wine. I eliminated that, and the way I feel is so much better. And it sounds like you feel the same way, and a lot of people who have tried it feel yeah. the same way too. And one thing that uh, Huberman sort of highlights is there are – it's such a wide spectrum of how alcohol affects people. So, like, if you go to a party and you have people that – you know, kind of leave the party early. They're tired. They've had some drinks. They're ready to go home. And then you, those are probably the more sensitive alcohol users. And then you have the ones that are like the life of the party. Alcohol gives them energy. Yeah. They're up till 2 a.m. You know, they're the last one standing. They don't look fatigued. They're more, they handle the alcohol. Their um, sensitivity isn't as high. So it all depends on the person, mm-hmm. just kind of like the diet stuff we talked about. Of course. But it's good to know sort of how it affects you as an individual And I I think a lot of people intuitively know, you know, if your hangovers are pretty intense, you're probably more sensitive and you're in large in part, in in my opinion, hangovers are from the disrupted sleep. I mean, of course, you know, you drink a lot of alcohol, you're going to have a hangover at some degree, but the disrupted sleep is to me, the major factor in the severity of the hangover. Totally. I, totally. It, it, the just lack of sleep. Even if I remember I got up, I was woken up five times by my three and a half year old when we were transitioning. And the way I felt the next morning was similar to a hangover because you're like, right. I just didn't sleep enough. And I know you're probably experiencing that with a baby at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you feel those same effects and then you throw an alcohol to it and it's just... A disaster with how yeah, you feel the next sure. day. I love that. Let's stop there. I think a lot of people can probably get some benefit from that Huberman Lab podcast. I haven't listened to it. I just heard from you and other friends who have listened to it and implemented some things, and I have felt a difference. But you are not a, a 100% sober. You will drink alcohol on a get together with old buddies or, you know, a special night out with your wife. I'm not trying, it doesn't, it doesn't matter when you do it, but you're not someone who goes, I don't drink alcohol, period. Right. And I'll go months sometimes without mm-hmm. drinking and, right. and feel no consequence, but no, I'm not, I'm not preaching, you know, total sobriety or anything like that. But I will say that kind of the knowledge is power. Like once I had this, this data, it was so eye opening that I really had to decide to pick my spots. And I think kids to bring in a whole other element of, you know, (laughs) Hey, like when I was 22 years old, I could go out and drink and then sleep until 11 AM and then have no obligations. (laughs) Right. Work out at four in the afternoon and do it all over again and lick my wounds and feel sorry for myself. (laughs) Well, now, you know, I have my middle child waking up at 5.45 yes. and whether I like it or not, like 
I'm up. You've got the baby to take care of and then an older one to go to soccer and all that other stuff. Life changes. Right. So I would say my kind of philosophy for myself with alcohol is I just I just pick my spots more than I I used to. Totally. So let's I kind of want to wrap the show on maybe an advanced topic or two Mm -hmm. for listeners that are like, I am in shape or I do work out three times a week, four or five times a week. And then I want to kind of pronounce maybe some fitness goals that I want to do for myself. And maybe we, and not maybe, I'd like you to share going like, hey, and for this January, here are some new things I'm committing to as a guy who is in shape and advanced. So let's talk about this. You know, a big topic more advanced that you brought up at at the end is is cold exposure. We can get into that or you can be like, no, let's talk about maximum heavy weightlifting, or let's talk about, you know, the benefits of cycling hills and Palos Verdes. Is there an advanced topic you'd like to touch on for five to 10 minutes before you and I talk about what we might try to do this January to give listeners two different varieties of what people are going to commit to in the new year? Yeah. Advanced. No. Yeah. So as far as advanced, once you kind of have that foundation of you're in a good groove with your workout, you've got some variety then it kind of becomes, okay, so how do you shore up a weakness? And so if, if I'm speaking to someone that runs marathons and that's their thing and they're, you know, an advanced runner, sort of my message to them would be find something that's like the antithesis of marathon running and kind of dive into it with some enthusiasm. So whether that's, you know, weightlifting or yoga or, you know, mobility exercises mm-hmm. or something that they've been neglecting. Because what I've seen a lot from, you know, owning the gym is folks love to do what they love to do. The problem is it can become so specific that overtraining can start to enter the picture. So if we're talking about kind of a more advanced, you know, fitness go-getter, I think it's important to number one, have an off season where you do not. If you're a marathon runner, don't run for a month or two months. Or two months. Yeah, absolutely. And get Um, your cardio a different way and then do the anaerobic stuff. Yes, exactly. Like you said, cross train, find something else to do that's that's not pounding. And this way, again, going back to sustainability, you've got a sustainable program that you can run for 10, 20 more years. Mm-hmm. The more is better approach in fitness is sort of getting like debunked. Having an off season, cross training, recovering correctly, that's sort of the the balance that one has to strike now. And then as far as like advanced recovery tactics. Cold exposure is, is very hot right now. It's just far as so hot. It's, it's hot. I just scroll Instagram and people are jumping into ice. Baths. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. It's backed by science. I mean, it works. Even um, if you're not an advanced fitness mm-hmm. person trying to recover, just I've heard brown fat, which I know nothing about. And then yeah. you get like certain endorphins released in the cold for 22 seconds a day or 22 yeah. seconds a week. Have you done any research on this? Or are you looking into doing it for yourself? Yeah. And for me, it's a kind of a lack of, I don't have um, <laughs> resources, yeah, time. I, I, well, no. And it's, Ice I don't have a cold plunge. Like yeah. I don't, I have a bathtub, but I have to, you know, go over to the liquor store Huge and get ice. Bags of just, ice. It's yeah, crazy. So it's, if it was more convenient, I would do it more. But really I think around here, just getting into the ocean. I think Jumping in the ocean, like in the early morning when you get up. Yeah, absolutely. Go for a run, then, you know, strip down into your shorts and jump in and to, get into in. the water. Yeah. I mean, I think getting in the cold, you know, seawater is a huge benefit. 
The other one you can do is you can take a hot shower and then the last two minutes you just crank cold. Drop it to cold. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. You oh. can't do it the other way. You can Oh, really? So then it yeah, eliminates gotta, the benefits if you go cold first, then shower. Yeah. So or gotta, jump in a cold plunge, you know, at the 8 a.m. hour and then you go take a shower at 830 to get ready for work. You, you got to stay you gotta cold. You got to simmer in that cold. Yeah. You got to wear it for a little bit. And is it true you get those endorphins and all these health benefits? Is it just that uncomfortable aspect that is like a fight or flight response that your body does or what like do you and maybe you haven't studied yeah. up enough no, on the no, topic yet because it's so new yeah and what i'll say is from from what i understand is that you're getting this sort of primal immune response as well they you know they've done studies that the cold exposure is is an immunity booster it's a mood booster energy goes up I think it just kind of goes back to the way we lived, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago where we weren't in an air conditioned room. It was hot mm -hmm. and it was cold and very rarely was it 72 degrees all the time. So I think our bodies are programmed to respond to some of these extremes. And to your point, it doesn't take much. Even a couple minutes a day of cold exposure has great benefits. And I was just talking uh, about this topic with with Case Dolan, and he's a big kind of ocean cold yep. exposure guy. Industrial broker we had on our show. Yeah, legend. Um, <laughs> and uh, we were just talking about this, and Huberman actually brought up that if you do a very hard resistance training workout and you mm -hmm. want to do cold exposure, you have to wait. Really? Yes, because- What's the idea? Wait, so you do a heavy weightlifting workout. How long's that wait period? I believe An hour? Four hours. Four hours. Yeah. Wow. So lift hard in the morning and then at your lunch break, go jump into that cold January Pacific. Lift hard. Don't take Advil or do a cold plunge for four hours. Mm -hmm. You want that inflammatory response to run its course so that you get the benefits. Interesting. And then, yeah, heat is another one. We won't get too much into that, but I think- it would benefit if we can just sort of like transition into some breathing stuff. Mm -hmm. Yes. The cold exposure and breathing are highly related because when you're sitting in that cold tub or in that cold shower, it's not pleasant. I mean, for some people too who aren't used to it, like it can be like nine out of 10 unpleasant. And that's when the breathing comes in is you need to sort of control your breath, do some nasal breathing, you know, get those, those big exhales in. It kind of becomes a sort of safety net of when you're have anxiety in your life or you're nervous about something, you have a deadline, you have stress, you go back to that cold exposure breathing and it can be a very parasympathetic calming effect. Interesting. It's um, almost like a meditation type benefit, it sounds like. I would say that's a really good parallel hmm. is it is. And it forces you into a meditative state, whether you like it or not. Like you have to sort of get internal with your mind and sort of battle the, the unpleasantness. I can't do the cold shower myself, but I'm like, from what I've heard, I'm like, it, it. it's kind of inspiring me of going, maybe not cold shower, but if I'm forced to jump in a pool, you know, next door neighbor or go with a buddy on a weekend early in the morning. It sounds yeah, like it could I, be good, even though I'm scared. You I, know me, I don't I've like being cold. I've seen you in Tahoe. <laughs> It, on that uh, jumping that in the deck. lake yeah on the yeah i've, I've seen you <laughs> it's um, not pretty well and the other thing i'll say is it gets easier the more you do it and i know that sounds obvious it's still like you know when i get in a spat where i'm doing you know maybe two cold exposures a week for a month on that like 10th one 
I know what's coming and I know I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm going to breathe through it. It's still uncomfortable, but there's sort of this, almost this confidence that starts to come like, I'm going to survive this because really at the time your body, sort of that primal part of your body is like, whoa, like if you stay in this cold water for too long, like you're going to die. Mm -hmm. And once you kind of get over that hump and sort of quiet that voice down, it does get easier mentally for sure. So it can be trained. Just, and maybe just like you anything. yearn it a little bit, just like when you get in a great fitness routine or a great nutrition routine, you want to keep doing it. Yeah. Maybe not fully with the cold plunge, but at least you you maybe crave the benefits after you get out. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's what keeps people coming back with cold exposure is the dopamine hit and the fact that they feel more energized throughout the day. Love is, it. Yeah. We got to dive deeper and maybe even have you back in the show like three months later when everyone's hopefully sticking with their, their fitness goals. goals. And, and March, then we, yeah. we talk about you breathing through your nose, sleep. You know, you people don't realize you've tested a lot of things, taping your mouth shut. I taped breathing my mouth shut nose. last night. You yeah. did? Yeah. See, that's a whole nother show where we got to, when people track their sleep and how that maybe helps. Yeah, no. And, and what I'd say about that is I've been taping my mouth at night for a while, which some listeners might be like, this guy is crazy, yeah. but um, it forces you to nasal breathe at night. The problem I'm running into is one of my kids will wake up and I'll have to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to untape. So, <laughs> so I'll either untape or I'll sort of like, you know, like, you'll, you'll nudge Steph like, and yeah, be like, Hey, can you yeah. handle this? I'll kind of like hum at them. Like you're okay. You know, like, <laughs> So yeah. I love it. Well, that's a whole nother topic of the show. Let's wrap up with this. Uh, just hearing from you, I've got ideas of what I want to do for this January. And, you know, to me, what was huge is just walking with weight. Mm -hmm. And I still, as a runner, a track guy in high school, I like to run, but that's a strength. So it's not necessarily benefiting me. I'm not that strong carrying weight. I'm going, man, if I can run once a week, but then go out there and walk with a backpack with 10, 15, 20 pounds. If I do that one to two other times a week, that's what I want to try and commit to. And then I've got those Bowflex dumbbells in my garage and a Bowflex dumbbell that I can change the rate. I'm going to go onto YouTube University and go, what resistance workouts can I do twice a week? I'm getting that run in and then that heavy walk in. That's four times a week. Yeah. I'm not going too crazy. Four times will be big for me. And then I'm running after the boys, hopefully on the weekends where I'm getting my 10,000 steps in. That's what I'm going to try and commit to. And I'll get back to you. Is there anything else I should throw in on those fitness goals? No, I think four days a week is... This is for a guy who runs maybe once a week, if I'm lucky. Yeah. No, four days a week is great. That gives you ample time for rest days. And yeah, the rucking, again, it's super low barrier of entry. Like everyone has a backpack. Everyone has a way to add 10 pounds to it sure. at a minimum. And I see a lot of people like, especially in PV, it's, there's a pretty big walking community. And I feel like at first it might be like, am I really going to put extra weight on myself and walk around? But I think if someone is walking three or four days a week, that's the next step. Yeah. It doesn't have to be running. That's the next step. It doesn't have so to be running. Not. It doesn't like even though the resistance and weight training is is a big deal, you go, hey, even just starting walking. Yeah. Four days a week. And then you add rucking weight to it and then progress from there. So good. So that's what I'm going to commit to. Share with us some of your fitness and nutrition goals. It can be advanced just so people see where you're at. Yeah. Or if you're just continuing what you're doing, what a normal week of fitness and nutrition looks like. And we can end with that. Yeah, no. So for me, my goal for sort of the, even starting now, I kind of already started this, but is consistency because 
where I was lacking is I have just a lot of ideas of what I can do. And I know how to do a lot of different exercises and it's almost overwhelming for me. I almost need someone to come in and just be like, this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. But what I decided to do was I'm going to try to work out 102 days in a row. Okay. Wow. And each day is themed. So like Monday is zone two, Tuesday is resistance. So it's like, I know what I'm going to do. I just need to fill in the the. the what is So Monday live. through Sunday has a theme which repeats Correct. every seven days. Correct. And you're going 102 days in a row. But that theme then directs you on what you're doing. Yes. And rest days to me are really big. But what I want to sort of prove to myself is that I can do something every day. So like Sunday is a light jog. And that can be 15 minutes around the neighborhood. And I'm thrilled with that because I did something. And so I needed for me personally to get some consistency back into my training. And these don't have to be, for me, hour plus long Mm -hmm. sessions. They can be short and they count. So just consistently trying to hit those days, that's kind of my thing right now. And then diet wise, when my wife and I are kind of really humming, we're doing a lot of home cooking. And that's the key for us is not, you know, going with the DoorDash or picking up takeout. That's kind of our big thing. If we can home cook for us and the kids, we do so much better. So it's just like having beef or chicken or fish in the fridge and veggies, fruits, nuts, seeds, those type of things that you guys just whip up. Yeah, we're we're kind of our theme is like Instacart, not DoorDash. Got it. Right. So, so like, get the hey, groceries yeah. delivered and then cook. Right. I love that. Actually, yeah. Instacart over DoorDash. And yeah. look, the COVID taught a lot of us how to cook, mm-hmm. you know, over those six, 12 month periods. As long as you have the ingredients, it's not that hard. Yeah. And I think, too, like when we do DoorDash, you have these like highly palatable foods. You don't control the portions. You don't know what oils they've added in. All the sort of caveats with um, ordering out. When you control the food, I mean, you know exactly what's going into it. You see the process. These are all like obvious things, but I feel like when we're about 80% in-house cooking with all of our stuff, us and the kids are on a pretty good nutrition path. And anyone that's sort of maybe trying to make a big change, I would recommend, hey, just try to sort of reverse that home cook versus eating out trend. And that can that can make a big impact. Changes a lot. I agree. Love it, dude. Thank you for coming on. We got to have you back before we let you go. I know you do fitness sessions for people at their garage gym, at your garage gym, at other locations. I know you do nutrition advice, everything going on in there. Where can people find you? Is it an Instagram handle? Is it an email account, phone number? How can people get in touch with Ryan DeWitt? Yeah. So, I mean, right now I'm basically open to anyone that just needs guidance. If they want to improve their diet, if they have a fitness goal, it can be anything from, hey, I want to learn how to use a kettlebell to I want to get back on the road running or really any physical goal someone has, I'm here to help. And uh, yeah, people can find me on Instagram, doylefitness5, rdoyle13 at gmail.com. Someone can shoot me an email and I'm a resource to anyone that, that just wants to get more physically fit, change their diet, increase performance. Awesome. Love it, Ryan. Thank you for joining us. We'll have you back. 
And good luck to everyone in 2023 with your fitness and nutrition goals. Ryan Doyle, everyone. And there you have it from the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. We'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.